Like you can have sideburns in Fallout. You can have sideburns in The Witcher. Yeah. You can have sideburns in. I think they actually <laughs> don't have sideburns in um, uh, Skyrim because I'm a lizard. But I think if I was a person, maybe I could. Anyway, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> is a bite of D&D, and yet other voice you heard with us is our friend Zach. He's playing in one of our campaigns, and he is a relatively new player to D&D, so I've got him to my right, and of course, in across from me is my co-host, other Zach, so this won't get confusing at all. No, one of us is Zach, and one of us is Zach the Lesser, so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Zach with a K, uh, and that's K. We'll emphasize it in our pronunciation. There's Zach, and there's Zach. <laughs> Yeah. So, <laughs> not a yeah. problem. When you have to use your, like, phlegm in the back of your throat for uh, it. We can always <laughs> refer to you as Botch Zach instead of Botch Lack. Oh, there you go. There we go. I like that. He you plays, just refer, uh, just refer to me as Francis. There you go. That works too. But he is our friend coming in to give a new player voice to kind of the Mordenkainen's Toma Foes overview we're kind of doing and just things that maybe jump out at him. And uh, Zach, what do you do on the side? I do YouTube. I YouTube all the time. Um, I make short sketches, videos, and I also do a vlog every single day. Started that back in 2013 and uh, have been doing it every day since. Wow. So, so like 1,500 posts. There's a lot. There, there is a lot. I actually quit last year and then my friend was like, no, you need to not quit and keep going. So I started it up again and... And if someone wanted to find oh, uh, those you could, wonderful vlogs. Everything, uh, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, is just uh, Zach Vlogs, Z-A-K-V-L-O-G-Z. You're one of those people. I am one of those people. Uh, but I had to make it unique. So Zach Vlogs, you can find me on all those places, and it's usually pretty fun. Awesome. Awesome. So yes, so you can look forward to our Tomafo's review, having something that no one else does. Which is a brand new player who has never looked at the book and who knows nothing. And until, substitutes until S's with Z's. So it's, it's going to be true. a really it's quality gonna be review. Lit, fam. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, what we're going to do, uh, we both got the book a couple weeks ago, obviously. And um, as we started perusing it, we realized that just about everything in the book would probably deserve its own episode. Yeah, I'm not super impressed with every single creature in the Monster Manual or Volos. I think there's fantastic stuff in there, but I'll group them together and do an episode as like a whole subspecies thing with like the, the orcs and stuff. Most every creature in here deserves its own page. You've got the Arc Devils, the Rulers of the Nine Hells, all sorts of good stuff in here to, to really go. And then just the minions in general are pretty fantastic yeah there's a lot of high level stuff as if you have the book as you've seen but even the low level what low level stuff there is in there is just top notch top notch so what we realized is that we could do it and we could go monster by monster and do 30 episodes out of this book but then that would be getting into next year (laughs) and we kind of want to get to talk about them all at once And so I think what we're going to try to do, at least in part, is just kind of give a quick review of the book, kind of peruse through it, and give our initial thoughts. And we're going to cover a few of the monsters in some amount of depth, but really we just want to kind of tell you what we think about this book. You you might be able to view this as maybe a, a preview of sorts of what we may go a little bit more in depth in in our slightly more normal episodes. But this is just going to be the stuff that stands out to us, what we think is super cool, and that maybe you should check out as you're flipping through the pages. Now, I have a couple questions that I want to ask Francis before we get too heavy into this, because I think it's interesting to have a somewhat new player on the podcast. All of our other players, all of our other guests have been playing for at least a while. So I'm just curious about 
when you started, what you think, kind of your overall impressions, and let's let's start with those things, and then so we'll so I knew what D and D was in essence. Um, I, when I was in college, I uh, was a roommate of a guy who was deep into the D and D world mm. with the minis and everything like that and he would go off for four or five hours and we don't know what happened to him and he'd come back and be like everybody died and we're like okay what actually happened he's like oh it's in the game not in real life (laughs) and and i learned a lot from him like his campaign it was really cool to hear the stories that he would come back with but i was just like oh that's cool maybe someday i can do that and never really thought of it again and i had lots of friends who did it and everything and and then when micah was like oh we're gonna start this up do you want to do you want to do this and i was like well i've never done it before i'll probably be really bad at it and my wife, who's also in the campaign that we're in, she was like, oh, no, I've done it before. It's awesome. You'll love it. And I had no idea what I was getting myself into. And I didn't know that there were so many races and so many things you could choose and how just open it actually was to do basically whatever you want, as long as the DM says it's okay, <laughs> for the most part. <laughs> but, I mean, I feel like we've done a, a pretty good job incorporating your uh, backflips into that the was, brush. Had, uh, that, had that actually worked... That would have been one of the most epic things ever. It would have been so good. Well, I'd say you are an exceptional new character, and you've really dived into it and gotten into the spirit of things. Botchlack is definitely one of the more memorable characters <laughs> I've had. I don't know if I'd want to hang out with him in real life. Uh, well, uh, he's he's different enough from you, even though he's you, <laughs> that it's different. Yeah. Well, he is just a little bit more uh, amplified in the annoying apartment there, but... It was just a lot of fun to kind of create this world and create this character with his own story and just kind of take him on this journey and, like, you get to go on it with you. And so it's like when we're playing and I'm about to die and my watch goes off and says, hey, you need to breathe. Like, it's like you're part of it. And it's really just not at all what I ever expected it to be, but so much more fun than I had ever thought it was going to be. Well, that feels good. And I'm not going to let the fact that I've been your only DM... (laughs) <laughs> uh, cloud my judgment. Basically, what I'm hearing is I'm the greatest dungeon master ever. I, I can honestly say you're the, the greatest dungeon master I've ever had. Oh, that, that's good that's to hear. Wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so, there's a couple of things that I always find interesting when talking to people who play and who have just started regarding kind of what their process is like. As as like, um, do you do you own the books or do you just look stuff up online or what's your process there how what do you feel is necessary well i i don't own the books yet although me and my wife have talked about maybe that we should probably get them uh right now i just downloaded the thing the the actual the free download book i downloaded Uh it onto my phone so when i need to find something really quick i can just search it and pull it up on my phone in books which is really great we also have the the links saved on our computer since we're always right there in front of it anyway yeah Um, and luckily i mean i'm we're not sponsoring anything but we all have to play online just due to distance and things like that. And if you have the Ultimate License, you can uh, share that with anyone who's got a demo account. So luckily, we're able to get everybody kind of up and running just with that. Drag and drop makes it a lot easier and pretty a semi-reliable resource yeah. uh, to get you information. The well, drop-down menus are, are good enough that you don't always have to try and thumb through a PDF, which... Is a lot more awkward, in my opinion, than oh, having definitely. the physical books. The physical books are always the the best way to quickly find what you're looking yeah. for. Plus, it's just really cool pictures. Why wouldn't you want to have the book with you anyway? There you go. Just for that. Yeah. So, the character creation process, because if you get online and you're looking at, you know, the Facebook groups or different things like that, you'll see that a lot yeah. of people feel like that's the most difficult part about it is introducing people to the idea of creating a character. How difficult did you find that creative process? Um, When I first started creating a character, I think everybody goes through this, at least I would imagine. Everybody wants to be the, the dark, mysterious, ranger from the north type of guy who just is a rogue and is like super good at everything and all that stuff. I, and... I think everybody goes through their edgelord phase when they're making a <laughs> D&D character. Well, I was just like, I was like, when I was making my character with my wife, we were talking about it and she's like, well, a lot of people do that. I might do that, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I want to do something that is different. I want to do something that is not the norm. I want people to be like, what the heck is he doing? <laughs> but also like, that was, that was kind of cool. And so I was like, well, then let's take a look at the races. And I was like, oh, well, the gnomes sound pretty cool. 
that sounds like a fun thing to be. <laughs> I think right out of the gate, you manage to do what you're going for and just be the opposite of everyone else. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, poor gnomes are probably one of the most neglected races. Really? In the book. Oh, I would think so. Why? Well, they have to share the love with halflings because you have two small races who... I think, especially for new people, but even I think even I have a hard time distinguishing what exactly makes this gnome different than a halfling. And and halflings have the advantage of Lord of the Rings and all of that, where people are like, that I know that I'm going to be a hobbit. Well, actually, that's that was almost one of my thoughts was when I saw the halflings, I was like, I kind of want to be a hobbit type character. But then I was like, but when I was reading about the halflings, I was like, oh, they're cool, but they're all very dark and broody and like not exciting and happy all the time and then I read about the gnomes being a little bit more upbeat and happy about life and I was like I'm happy about life my character is going to be happy about life and I think that was one of the biggest things just the personality difference in them because I wanted to go with something as my first time being creating a character I wanted to go with something that was a little bit more familiar and that process of wanting that upbeat character then is what probably led you to the bard yes that also led me to the bard because I was like oh I can I can sing badly I think that'd be awesome and (laughs) you know I can make stupid jokes and tell stupid stories and as it turns out I can do that really (laughs) interestingly in the game and it has led to some of our more interesting interactions you know what they say (laughs) you know what they say do as you're told (laughs) Oh, God. Well, uh, I guess with that, let's go ahead and start diving through the book. Uh, Mm -hmm. What I kind of wanted to start with was actually not in the bestiary, but up at the front. So we're going to go in a slightly different direction up uh, at first. And I believe this was posted on Unearthed Arcana not so long ago, but it's kind of a intro, a beginner's guide to creating your own cult. Uh, and so they have different boons and benefits depending on what... I think I've read that book somewhere. Yeah, well... Cold Building the... 101? Yeah. <laughs> well, back, back, you know, in the D&D heyday, everyone knew that if you were playing the game, you are communicating with the devil. So... Well, I was going to say, I thought I saw Satan off. in here a minute ago. There he is. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But no, uh, some great tools, primarily, obviously, intended to use with NPCs. And we're we're not going to dive too deep into this, but it, it's pretty fantastic. You've got stuff for every single different main demon, every ruler of each of the Nine Rings of Hell, for your heroes to uh, vanquish cult members of. And you've even got some of the higher level demons that can bestow some minor bonuses and boons to their minions as well. I see that Zach is counting and maybe only sees eight. I do only see eight at the moment, and one of them is a Demogorgon. Yeah, I like... So, I'm a liar. <laughs> well, no, I'm not saying... I wasn't saying that, because maybe there's one, two, three, four. No, that only has six. <laughs> so, so what I like about the boons, you know here at Bite of D&D, we love templates. We like putting over templates onto characters while the that's a, a werewolf lycanthrope template, or that's a vampiric template, or that's, that's a, a half-dragon template, template that that's, doesn't exist, but yeah. you're going to make up on the fly. Yeah, that's one of our passions, and this is great. You've seen Banes and Boons from day one in the DMG, in the Dungeon Master's Guide, as being ideas to help make, for the Dungeon Master to allow player characters to be a little bit more unique and to have their own unique abilities and i think most all games have something to that nature anyways but i like that this is showing you how to make a boon and it almost the only thing that i'll say about these a little bit and this is just a passing remark it almost takes away some of the thunder of a warlock in that Okay, so what's the difference between having getting a, a demon lord that gives you a boon and being your patron being a demon lord and he gives you your warlock powers? It's, a, it's not the same, but I, I get warlocky feelings off of this. So what, in my opinion, and this recently came up in discussion in the Dungeons & Dragons group on Facebook that probably all of you listening are already a part of, and if not, you may shortly be, because it's got a bajillion different members on there. But 
In right. my opinion, the main difference is warlocks get draw all of their magic directly from their patron. Their patron is lending them it, similar to a divine caster. And despite what Mike Merles has said... I was going to say, Mike Merles has some interesting thoughts about yeah, this. Despite what Mike Merles has said, I feel like if they were to cross their patron, cross their deity, that that power could then be revoked as like a breach of contract sort of thing. But someone with more power than me has said otherwise... <laughs> Do with that information what you will. So, Zach, to, or Francis, to catch you up on our little discussion here. So, Mike Merle is one of the the creator deities of D&D, recently got on Twitter and said that just because your magic comes from a divine source, like a deity or a patron of some sort, doesn't mean that if you leave, if you, like, leave their servitude, that you can't take that magic with you. I feel like if I was going to bestow something onto somebody (laughs) and they turned around and said thanks but no thanks and then walked away with the gift, I would take that away (laughs) as a... As a free action. As a free action, yeah. I mean, if you're the one who gave the gift, you're essentially the god. So, you know, just... That's what I'm saying. That's mine. So then, is he also saying then that it is possible that he could take it away? I don't know. I don't know. I, I think don't, I think he's saying that it... Well, the comparison was drawn that divine magic works similarly or almost exactly like arcane magic. So a wizard who studies glyphs and runes and things draws their power in the same way that someone who is granted it by the gods. I think it would depend on how much that person actually means to the god because it would, might be a bigger insult to let him keep the power because he means so little that he doesn't care that he's leaving. Yeah, and I think that overall what he's trying to do is trying to stop a... Rampaging a, a, DMs exactly. from just hurting their players, which... Oh, well, you did something that's against your deity, so you're not a cleric anymore. <laughs> yeah, which there, so, some people can take too far. I believe in a strike system. But anyway, I feel like there's a lot of other things a DM could do to hurt the players <laughs> more than that. <laughs> like, you know... Sure, you can keep your magic. Rocks fall, everybody dies. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Give me a new character. And, or, you know, giant alligators. Or, uh, you know, falling off of a horse. Well, or... celestials begin raining down from the sky, and now you're surrounded by several angels that want you dead for heresy. Oh. Uh, so there you go, uh, fellow DMs. Another way to ruin, ruin a player, a player uh, since down. you can't take away their magic anymore. Please don't do that. Uh, I don't condone it. But uh, there it is. So I'm curious. I think we already we started this conversation and and I I tried to get us away from this topic pretty quick before we got on the podcast. But I want to know there's some staples in this book. In the first five chapters, it talks about elves, elven wars and demon wars and all sorts of different eternal conflicts, basically, within the world. I'm curious, Zach Francis, Mm -hmm. about do you know... What do you think that a drow is? A, a, a what now? A drow. Hold on. <laughs> oh, I <laughs> just found it. Looking them up is cheating, but it's an open no. book test. Yeah, so open book I, test. Guess. I mean, a drow to me, well, without looking, I mean, I see pictures, but I don't have no, I have no idea what they're even saying here. I mean, a drow to me would be just some sort of. It sounds evil, like an evil being. There you go. But okay. it, I don't. Again, I don't know. I'm trying not to read anything here. I see house captains. They have captains. <laughs> uh, well, they have mothers. That doesn't sound good. If I know anything from Skyrim, having a mother is not a good thing. Uh, what do you What do you What do you know about a place called the Underdark? And I'm not doing this to make fun of you. I'm doing this to the Underdark. Oh, that's what we were, we were just. Uh, yeah. He's exemplifying my failure as a DM. Well, that's the to, whole point. Yeah. Uh, teach you about the important the, things. The Underdark, is the, isn't that the place where you can have the lizard horse thing? Yes. That's a good nutshell example of what the Underdark the, is. The yeah. Underdark is a weird place where lizard horses exist. That's, uh, I like it. I never heard of a better, uh, better description. We've talked about, because you saw them as soon as you opened the book, but the Durgar and the Darrow. Yeah. So those are... Those are the evil versions of things that live in there. Do you know what the shadow fell is? The shadow fell. That doesn't sound good either. Okay. Is that is that a bad thing? Well, we'll maybe maybe Michael will introduce you to that at some point. <laughs> oh, okay. So so how long have you been playing? I've been playing since 
When did we start? We started in like November, the beginning of November. November with some decent sized chunks in there due yeah. to retail jobs and holiday season. Yeah. yeah. So I guess I've been playing since then. Okay. So I guess what I'm commenting, I'm, what my point from all of this is that if you're, if we're talking about this book and what it's good for, I think this would be a a great resource for new players to get a better idea of what the world consists of around them. Yeah. But it also is. If you're doing a homebrew world, like we kind of have created for your campaign and for my campaign, a lot of the initial five chapters of this book aren't necessarily going to come into play that much. They might have some interesting bits that you want to pull, but I would I would just say that, like, you know, Zach has had a ton of fun playing in Micah's campaign for over six months now, and the first five chapters of this book mean nothing to him and are in the sense of they, he doesn't have a clue about what's going on. And, and so I guess what I'm saying here is that this book isn't necessarily a must. But for, it's a nice supplement. But it's it, a really it, it nice It gives you ideas for if you have the adventure hooks that you want to take them down. Mm-hmm. If you utilize these creatures from these places and they're like, well, that's weird. Where did that come from? You can... Take them there. Yeah. I think this book does a great job flushing out sort of the different planes and things that veteran players are familiar with, but really haven't been touched on in a meaningful way until now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I really appreciate, as a person who has read a lot of the Forgotten Realms books and who has played D&D for a while, I really did appreciate their condensing in those first five chapters and giving like, hey, you don't need to read 16 books to, or 600 books to to get a scope of what this world looks like. We can tell you this in, in 40 pages and you'll be good to go. So I really, I do appreciate those first five chapters, even though I, I would say some of you are going to buy this book and say, okay, I got half of a bestiary and nothing else that I can use. I found that it's, those first five chapters have been really great. Yep. Well... And this ties in then kind of back into the bestiary a little bit, so I won't dive down. But while we're on the topic of drow, can I just say that I'm so glad we have more traditional drow that aren't a half CR yes. uh, mook? Cause, Amen. Oh boy, was that painful. You had your basic half CR drow, and then you had all of the horrifying monstrosities that could happen as gifts or punishments from Lolth herself, and nothing in between. And it just really left me crying inside for the lack of any real drow. So, Zach, you have a you have thoughts? No, I don't know what to think. I don't know what a half CR means. <laughs> so that's that's challenge rating, and it's what I do behind the screen to make sure uh, you guys have a chance of not dying. Gotcha. So, okay. So I, I don't sense. mind. Yeah, I don't mind diving into drow a little bit here in the saying that the reason that we we, we did an episode. One of our first early episodes was about drow as a playable race. And drow are dark elves. They're like black-skinned, white-haired drow that live completely in the world underneath our world. Yeah. The underdark is essentially the the deep inner core of the world, essentially. And it's a whole nother, essentially, plane underground. of existence. It's yeah. an underground world, almost very counter to ours in many ways. Yeah. Hmm. And, um, and drow are like the elves that inhabit that. Most everything in the Underdark is an evil version of a thing on the surface. So you have Durgar, which are the evil dwarves, and Darrow, which are basically the evil gnomes. And So if you're evil, you live down in there. If you're an evil race, chances For the are... For most part, flumps are pretty nice. Yeah. Flumps are So adorable. it's not an evil Everybody place in flump. of itself. Yeah. It's like caves. Like, just think of cave after cave after cave. It's got a lot of nasty things in it. But, well, bad guys do tend to live underground. There you so. go. Yeah. So, so drow are like considered the martial, scary, warlike race of D anD. d Like they are the the well trained army that lurks beneath the surface. Uh, bad children are kidnapped at night by the drow and yeah. taken underground. Yeah. And so drow have been. You know. They're they're a society uh, designed around an army. And so the idea that a first-level party could fight a handful of drow right out the gate has always been ridiculous, and that's kind of what the Monster Manual told us. The first book uh, was like, oh, you can just fight drow from level one. And I find that to... I've always found that to hurt my insides 
this book says no drow start at level nine. So (laughs) basically the monster manual was saying that the drow, this militant race of underground dwelling elves, should be as scary as those goblins you fought in pretty much your first game. Oh yeah, those things. (laughs) I remember those trolls. Or not those trolls, but those goblins. Yeah. Yeah. I'm reading about I see trolls right now as well. Yeah. So anyhow, we're super happy with uh, with Tomafo's take on drought, and yeah. I like that they have a matron mother now that you can throw around. And I think that now, I mean, you could always just give drow player levels or what character levels and go for it earlier, but this is a way to really allow them to be a smoother intro. Well, and it also allows a better way for players to utilize a good aligned drow with their moon goddess because they kind of go into the different aspects of the the matron mothers and the the things that the drow worship and the moon goddess is kind of a, a good way to bring players up to the surface and give them excuse to play a good drought anyway we're turning this into drought 2.0 yeah so while we're on the beach you know that that's coming yeah. you know that that episode is 100 coming <laughs> while we're on the subject of the bestiary maybe let's just start shifting over to the the guys that stood out to us the most Zach, what are you what are you seeing in there? What what types of creatures? I mean, there's there's a I mean, I know that this, like you guys keep saying this is like only like a half a book of a what you call it a monster man beast monster, here, yeah. yeah. But there's there's a lot of different things in here just just flipping through. It's ridiculous. A couple of the ones that I'm seeing right now. Well, this guy at the very end of the book, this thing, the, the Oinoloth. Oinoloth. Yes, I think he is great. Uh, a pestilence creature. If it yeah. ends with Loth, it's probably a good addition. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so these all are tied to Yugoloths, uh, and I've always thought that Yugoloths are great, native to the plain of Gehenna, which is well, of course it's like a bad place. Wrong. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, it's the Cthulhu Lovecraftian mythos of. D&D in many ways. Yeah, that's oh. that's a good interpretation of it, I think. And this guy's, yeah, the... the what's his name? Y- y- Yagnaloth? Yeah, yeah. Yagnaloth? The art for this guy is a little bit... It, has, it well, shows... The, the first thing that comes to mind just looking at this thing is not necessarily something we should probably talk about on the podcast. But there's a lot of really cool... Where's the one? Where's the one? Hold on. Well, first of all, there are... What is this, a Darrow? Yeah. Darrow has sideburns on it. Yeah. So that was stood out to me right away. <laughs> Just as a disclaimer, I, well, I'm growing them back right now, but I love sideburns. I That's all I can grow. I can't grow a beard or anything. Zach flipped through the monster manual right out the gate and pointed out all the instances of sideburns and the bestiary. And evidently, there's a lot. There so. are. There's, a, there's quite a bit of, and they're mostly evil creatures, it looks like, but... Maybe we know what is down the road for your poor character. I mean, you don't know. I mean, we never know what's going to happen in, in the game, right? Well, That's you true. do, because you're the DM. <laughs> but, I mean... But, yeah, there's just a lot of really cool characters. Where's the one... I liked the... Oh, these things. We talked about these things. The... Abishai. Yeah, so, like, if you love some... Like, what would you say? If you, like, a... a um... So, they are the... In many ways, the, the prophets, the emissaries of Tiamat. And Tiamat is like the dragon deity. So, yeah, if, so you, if you die and you love that deity a lot, so a Tiamat is a five-headed dragon of just is that in here? horrifying She's amounts of power. She is not in that book. Uh, however, I the two campaign yeah. books sitting over there, hiding behind the other chair, are the campaign book kind of revolving around Tiamat, Horde of the Dragon Queen, and Rise of Tiamat. Is that a baby face? So what we're looking at right now the are the Mirrigan on page 166. And these guys are like the standard infantry of the Nine Hells. Emphasis on infant, it looks like. Yeah, they got like yeah. a... Kind of a baby face metal mask. It's actually bolted onto their heads. They The goal is to remove any sort of identity from these soldiers. These are people who were particularly evil in life who were competent in arms and the only signifying marks on them are signifying which god they, which demon they belong to that's interesting side note we will definitely be doing an episode on abishai abishai 
Abishur. They are awesome and probably the best surprise gold nugget in the entire book, yeah. in my opinion. When so. I was flipping through, I had to do a double take and hop back on those guys. I was excited to see see them in there. I like... There, there's pluses and cons with, with the bestiary in this book. I, I know we've talked a lot about how exciting it is and how much we like it. I will say, though, that if you run a campaign that doesn't deal a lot with devils and demons, you can cross about half this bestiary out. That's not... I don't run one with a lot of that just because I like different directions better. But I, I will say that it's you're, it's a lucky for the book that everything else is so great because... Well, and I think in a way you can tie that back to the beginning and why I was so excited to see the uh, cultist stuff on there. Because even if you're not directly fighting the demons and the devils themselves, you can have orc a goblin or gnome or kobold or whatever you want cultists of these different devils to fight and you can stop a ritual to either bring their hordes into the material plane or something like that and it doesn't have to be too far off from what your campaign currently looks like but still giving it kind of a taste yeah. of what's possible yeah he's flipping through oh. Zach is flipping through and looking this at this is just the artwork is really amazing first of all um, <laughs> but there's just like there's so many cool creatures like this guy Bale. Yeah. Like level chat you have to be night level 19. To talk to that's this guy. that's yeah, that's a close idea. Challenge ratings isn't necessarily tied to player level, but that you're not too far off. In a way, a full party of level 19s should be able to take him on pretty Good. easily. Yeah. 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 I mean, he looks awesome. Like why can't we play as that character? That'd be <laughs> awesome. Like you would nobody would ever mess with you. And I wouldn't mess with me. Wouldn't be much of a game though if nobody ever wanted to mess with you. No, then you could go around and mess with other people. But there's no threat. Well, there's no that's danger. True. Then it's just it's like, like turning on uh, God mode and infinite health in a video game, and suddenly you're bored two hours into it because that's a good point. There's no longer anything that, that you have to worry about. There's another one in here that I really liked. Uh, the uh... It's kind of an alphabetical order. That's the other thing that I oh. might complain about as the other con for this book, because it's divided into kind of segments. It also like art. So it's like arch devils. Okay, well that's great, but they're not in the A's. It doesn't, you know, Arch Devils isn't at the beginning of the book. And then also, you have all of these different creatures that take up 12 pages in their own alphabetical order in the middle of another alphabetical order. So it's a little bit crazy to navigate. But I think you found the creature you like. I like this guy a lot, the, 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 the GIF. Yeah, the GIF that keeps on giving. The, the GIFs, uh, for those of you that are trying to follow along with this chaotic mess, are on page 204. And they are hippos from space. And they are, they look pretty legit. He's got a, a blunderbuss right here. Yep. Which is awesome. Uh, he's got a pipe. He's got a monocle. Definitely a British soldier look yes. to it. Yes. But he's awesome. If I, and you can, you can play as this character. Or not We're, really. In, in my mind, if you should be able to. But there isn't one out yet. But, but I think people are, there's a campaign, there are numerous campaigns going on trying to get this guy. I, I'm sure there is a terrible homebrew out there somewhere that I would be horrified to look at. Uh, that could be modified. Yeah. I just think it, I mean, like some of these people, like I said, like some of these things in here, these creatures are so cool. I mean, obviously they're meant to be fought against, so they're, they're like, their powers and everything are just amazing. But I think it'd be cool to like start out as like a, a gif. Like, that just would be so much fun. You could be the tank of the group, and you could just be... Now, you said something earlier that I think <laughs> is the question of the ages here. Yes. So, it's spelled G-I-F-F, -F, and so I asked, uh, is that GIF or JIF? And they said, well, it's always GIF. And then I said, if I was ever going to play a character, and I was going to play a GIF, then I would name him GIF, Jif the GIF. And it would be spelled the same in both ways. It'd be G-I-F-F, -F, the G-I-F-F. -F. And I think that would just be hilarious to have Jif the GIF as, as your character for the game. I would be like... We're going to get at least a few comments that are like, well, it is actually Jif. Yeah, uh, in the words of Zach, not Francis, <laughs> that's shameful. Yeah, that's shameful. <laughs> it's, it's awesome, though. I think it's hilarious. I mean, obviously... Yeah, and it's, that's the cool thing about this book. They talked about putting the GIF in here. They said that they wanted to put... They, they got the book done, and they were like, 
this book is so dark. Like, it's full of just, like, nasty, disgusting, powerful creatures. Lots of we those. need to find some creatures that we can put into this book that are more fun and lighthearted. And this was one of the first ones that they're like, heck yeah, we're going to bring them back. I would, yeah. I would be... As you're flipping through, these guys are going to feel uh, very out of place. You're probably going to double take because you go from all these demonic, horrifying, nasty things yeah. to space hippos. There's a really n- another. There's another really nice looking guy here in the back. His name is Tortles. Yes, and you can't actually play as the, a tortle. The Tortles just up. recently came out. Yes. What? Yes. I feel like you'd be really slow, but that'd be awesome. Yeah, let's see, what do they have as a speed there? You can learn how to read a... Uh, listen, everybody, what you're hearing right now is a player learning for the first time to read a stat block, so just enjoy this. Yeah, this is going to be fun. All right, speed right there. 30 feet an hour, or...? <laughs> no, that's, that's a turn, so they are just as fast as you are. Oh. As, as, actually, they're faster Actually, they're than... faster than you are, because you have tiny legs. You run at 25 I would. I would totally round. be a turtle. I have to come up with a really good name for him, though. Jif. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's shameful. I know. I'm sorry. Uh, there's a really good section in the book. I'm sure we'll do an episode on trolls. Ooh. Trolls are pretty fantastic. Trolls have always been a staple, uh, similar to orcs, how they got all of their different versions in Volo's guy. Oh, wow, You've got a lot of fleshing out. Uh, I don't know. There's how a lot of different trolls. Yeah. Unfortunately, of a pun, maybe that was for trolls. But, uh... A lot of fleshing out on the troll bestiary here. <laughs> and there's uh, there's one on ogres, too, which is another great one. Aww. It's just, I don't know, like, there's some of those have been needed for a while, I think. I mean, you can always beef beef the things in the MM, but, but it's nice to have, like, really already fleshed out expansions on those. There's a, this is the weirdest, I, I look at it every time, the, the Steel Predator, yeah. which, in my mind, the art and kind of the presentation of it is, like, if you've ever wanted to play a game with an alien from Alien. It looks exactly like the alien from Alien. Yeah, and it's it's CR 16, so it's the right CR for that sort of thing. This book has a lot of, several things that are like, Do they, very obviously a thing from pop culture previous. Do they have space campaigns? So, yeah. we had one of our earlier episodes on Spelljammer. Spelljammer... In a way, it wasn't originally designed for D&D in space, uh, but it is very much kind of the go-to space D&D. There are other systems uh, available as well that kind of more focus on that, but D&D is a great template to run any sort of campaign you're looking for on. Zach Francis has stumbled across another thing that I really like in this bestiary, the The Sorrow Sorrow Swarm. Yes, I think that those guys would be super fun in like some sort of haunted mansion or just or a snow white themed game because you've got the angry the hungry the lonely yeah you just have the all the of wretched. the different <laughs> disgusting dwarves yeah. that what she you could th- be with yeah. you just need some form of evil snow white to go with it yeah yeah that would be fun actually i, I that's a that's a that's an adventure that needs to be written I feel like that's going to come up later. Well, if any of you want to give me consultation rights to that, I will fill you in on the greatest (laughs) bad thought I've ever had. So there's a couple other things that I'll comment on in here while we're still flipping through this. And this is just how this this podcast is going to be, these episodes. We're just going to jump around like crazy. There are some monsters in this book that I, as I was flipping through initially, I was like, wait a minute, that hasn't been... In a book yet, the the Iron Cobra was one that I was like, that's a staple. Like, I, I don't know how many Iron Cobras I fought against. And One of the first creatures I ever Ooh. fought, because my starting campaign for D&D and Path was not really D&D, but Pathfinder, what got me into the tabletop gaming in general, was the Way of the Wicked campaign. You get thrown against a couple of Mithril Cobras yeah. pretty early on. So the Iron Cobra Metal took me sticks. back... A little bit that we haven't come across any of those yet. <laughs> Thank goodness, I feel like because I feel like they're just cool. They just eat me. The other th- what else did what else was I telling you? I was like, oh, that's cool. Like there was a phoenix, which I was like, that's interesting. Oh, these guys right here, the Orthons, yeah, are pretty fantastic. Yeah, those are great. Yeah. And then 
up here at the front of the book, there's something that I was like, wait, 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 wait. Those haven't been in here yet. There's a, there's a, well, the Demogorgon, obviously, we can talk about. Obviously, that's a Stranger Things reference. Yeah, for time those to of pull, you that yeah. are look like the kind same of one, yeah. coming into the D&D world because of Stranger Things, this book is probably going to be a must-purchase for you because that's where you're going to find the, the Demogorgon. The Choker. Yeah, the Choker. That's another one that's like, where has that been in the last... This is one I was super excited to see as well. I may have already made plans for them in my current campaign. So this would be a good time to read this stat block if you want some. (laughs) Take some pictures here. Uh, No, I was really like, you know, every time they come out with one of these books that's basically an excuse to have another beast here, I'm like, okay, what's the purpose of this? What are they, what are they haven't talked about excessively? And this book had some, yeah, some surprises of like, Oh yeah, like that's something that I really loved having in older editions and now they're here again. So there's some good stuff and you'll be surprised, I think, you'll you'll be excited to see some of those those older creatures brought back. Uh, the cadaver collector. Yes. So I'm gonna guess he does exactly what his I name think suggests. that yeah, yeah. says enough. Yeah. Uh, just... very literal in the naming structure. Uh, but he some of his abilities are kind of surprising. He can summon the spirits of those cadavers he's collected to just horrify and mess with his enemies. Oh, that sounds... So there is a purpose to the collection of the cadavers. Yeah. We're getting closer to the front of the book here, and actually the very first creature in the book was one I was super excited about. Oh. (laughs) Here we go. Oh. The Alip, Alip, something ip. It ends with ip. These guys are like these terrifying-looking shadow creatures of people who have discovered secrets too horrifying for their minds to comprehend and are, like, eternally cursed. And they can try and pass this curse off by getting someone to write it down within these various manuscripts. I'm... I'm, I'm, (laughs) We we can't help but read ahead on some of these, and Zach is looking at the Astral Dreadnought, which is right next to it. That's another one I was... I was really excited about it. It looks like something that you'd see out of like Pacific Rim. Yes, and and the beauty of it is, you all these words don't mean a whole lot to you probably, but if a creature is traveling through the astral plane, which is a plane close to the material plane, if there if there's people that are through there, and they encounter one of these guys and he crits them, there's he no can choose back. to just cut your silver cord, which is to basically remove your spirit, your soul from oh, your so body. Like the, referencing Hercules. Well, I would yeah. describe yeah, the exactly. yeah. astral plane to someone, and the Hercules thing is actually really good. The threads of fate that yeah. they snip off. Yeah, but what I would describe the astral plane is, is kind of how uh, Doctor Strange in his movie, how um, they would switch over to that other realm where it wouldn't like mess with anyone in the physical world. But they could still fight and battle and manipulate everything without anyone noticing. And that's kind of in a way what the astral plane is. Not exactly, but it's a, would be a the, good visual to kind of give you an idea. And you would go there like. for... Traveling through spaces quickly. Oh. Um, so you can, like, it, it almost teleporting and stuff like that, all... Pretty much... Most of the time you hand wave it as a, you know, oh, you're, teleport, you're casting teleport as a spell. You're actually going through the astral plane for a brief moment. Most of the time there's no real risk in encountering a creature over there. But there's other, t- there's, there's portals and stuff that could definitely get you there in a longer term. And- there's other abilities that allow you to walk through the astral plane. So maybe you can sneak by a group of guards or something. But that's a more involved thing than just snapping your fingers and teleporting somewhere. <laughs> He's reading gnome flaws. I, I was just I just turned one over uh one page over and I saw that there was a gnome table and I play a gnome in the campaign that I'm in and I'm just reading like gnome personality traits, gnome ideals, bonds, flaws, and it's it's kinda sad just how accurate this is for my character. <laughs> well and that's actually brings us to another one of the big points I wanted to hit on yes. in this book is those tables. Again, this isn't maybe something everyone gets super excited about but i think it's another good way to help flesh out your npcs maybe even just flesh out your player characters and there are a ton of different tables for all the different races whether it be traits flaws any of any of those sort of things um they've got many tables even for 
essentially in counter-building yeah. for some of these evil races of allies, maybe, that would be accompanying them. And there's a lot of cool stuff, I feel like, buried in those tables if you're looking for something that you can just roll up and use. This is great. So, as, as we're kind of wrapping up this part of this review, my question would be, do we feel like this is a must for a DM and a must or a must for players or both or neither like what do we feel this book is made for so in my opinion this is definitely more tailored towards dms i think anytime you have kind of the bestiary style books it's more tailored towards dms but if you're a player who likes to just collect things who likes to read up on the lore i still think it is a fantastic purchase the fact that they go into expanded detail on the different realms and things of that nature. I think that's just cool from a player perspective to have a broader idea of the world of the Forgotten Realms in general. And then also you have those tables and those charts that you can use. I think overall it's obviously more tailored and more useful for a DM, but I don't think a player would be disappointed with this book. Only in the way, maybe because Volos and Xanathars both have player options. They do. Yeah, that is true. And I, I, I guess that would be the only thing I would say is like, this one is obviously a departure from that. I really, in some ways, liked... Here, there's two things here. I liked that they had, had the system of like, if we're doing a resource book and not an adventure book, there's going to be something in there for everybody in those other books. I appreciated that. On the flip side... I'm seeing more and more on social media, new players coming in or, or, or DMs running games for new players and saying, how do you guys handle the fact that we have to deal with six books now for player options? It's exhaustive. And in my mind, it's not that big of a deal, but I know it's a bigger deal for other people. And when it just splits your Adventurers League stuff up even more compared to what you can pick from. Yeah, so I think this is the first time that maybe they're starting to say... We're going to slow down on player options a bit. And I think some of it is gearing up for, fingers crossed, uh, an Eberron book. I know it was hinted at that that was something they were wanting to do, but they really hit on gnomes being tinkerers. There's a few more construct-type things in this book, which feels kind of out of place compared to everything else. Yeah, I'm really hoping that maybe this is hinting towards... And they just announced the... The water deep, the water deep uh, the, adventure. So we'll have a while to wait for the Eberron one, but I think I do think that it's coming. Yeah, I, I'm. That's what I'm hoping. Some of this is maybe hinting towards. But you're right. I forgot. Volos did have the monstrous races, the different player character races with the Tabaxi and the yeah. the Furbolgs and some of that stuff in there. And this is not going to give. If you're if you're hoping it's going to be a book like this as a player, it's not going to give you that. It's really just world information. Though, Zach Francis has said that flipping through the bestiary that and i probably agree with him that there's probably a half dozen monsters in here that would make really really fun uh player races so yeah. i think oh, there's, yeah. there's arguments for some of that um there's a we, lot of really cool things in this book like it may not necessarily be something that's a need for a player but good lord it's pretty well, awesome and if you're into art books like he said the art for these guys is always phenomenal i'm a sucker for art books like i like having them just because uh, flipping through and actually getting the a visual for the monsters is always a nice thing. And I saw some people already complaining online, and people complain online, that's what they do, but I saw people complain that not every monster in this book has art for it. It's some of the variants and some of the whatnot. That might be true, but I'm telling you, you're, unless unless you have to have that for each individual tiny... I mean, there's gobs and gobs of... It's, it, it's not a lesser book in that regard than well, I, any of them. I, I feel like the vast majority has art tied with it, so if you're upset about the one or two that don't, I don't know what to tell you. Well, it's like, you know, the Aladrin, they have three of the four seasons have art. That's way more than I have to have. Well, and I believe I thought the other one had one at the beginning of the book. I think in the Monster Manual portion of it, oh, it has yeah. three, but I think the fourth was actually further up in the book. So y'all just need to look a little bit closer, read through the whole thing. Alright, well, um, I think that that's going to be the end of our review on this, the preview on this book. It's pretty legit. We, we look for in the coming weeks us to go over, start going over a few of these. We're not going to just just focus on this book. Obviously, we're going to pull from other sources still, but we're excited to go into a little bit more depth on a few of them. Uh, the as months. we mentioned in the last episode, if you, you came here hoping for like 
an exhaustive coverage over everything in the book. There are better people than us that are going to be doing that. There are some fantastic podcasts of different, even the the more celebrity podcasters. I'm sure we'll see Matt Colville go through the book as well. People like that. I mean, there are plenty of people who will give you an in-depth. Our following episodes are definitely going to be back to our norm as far as individual snippets, 20-minute episodes on the stuff that especially stood out to us that we want to cover. Absolutely. Zach, do you have anything you want to say in closing? Well, no. I mean, this is just... It's been a really good, great experience doing this whole campaign and learning how to play D&D. I still don't know hardly anything, and I'm learning. But I think that's what's so much fun about it is that you get to learn while you play. You don't have to know everything to play, and you just keep... Uh, is that the keep going. is that the first book that you have opened? No. Okay, this I was gonna say not, we're gonna have a lot well, first here, and I'm starting to get really excited about well, this. Is like I an emotional. The the first book that I've ever opened was that we actually after we started playing D and D, we went to Barnes and Nobles and we went and looked okay. at the book and we opened it up and I was like, oh my gosh, this is so cool! I kind of want to get this. And she's like, well, maybe we can. And like, we just haven't actually gone back to do it yet, but. That was the first time I had opened anything like that. You know that. what? Uh, do me a favor yeah. and don't go buy the books because I probably shouldn't admit this on a podcast about D&D. I don't read most of the, the rules for... Like, I know the rules for... I take that back. I know most of the rules for sleeping and things like that, but I haven't, like, poured over every single individual ruling, and sometimes things come up, and I just make stuff up, and I don't want you to know when I have to just make stuff up. Just pretend like I know everything. I feel like the the ambiguity of being able to do that, though, as a DM is, like, part of what makes D&D so much fun, because if there are rules, then there are ways around the rules, and I feel like if there... Sometimes if there are no rules, then you're kind of competing against whoever's the the quicker thinker, you know what I mean? They're they're more like guidelines, really. There you go. To quote the only good Pirates movie to ever be released. All right. Well, uh, I think that's a good spot to end it. No conversation that starts with Pirates of the Caribbean ever ends well. So we're just going to cut it off here. And uh, you we'll... Don't like pirates? I uh, Well, we can talk... That, I love that's Pirates a... in D&D. Let's... Okay. That, okay. So, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, I, I agree. I think we're going to go on a deep, dark tangent here if we keep going. Yeah. So we'll see you guys next week. See ya. Thank you, guys. Cool beans. Mm-hmm.